Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Preview Review, the movie trailer podcast hosted by me, Tyler Ellison, and... Me. I guess I'm supposed to just jump in without any introduction. I have to do my own introduction. Did you want me to introduce you? I mean, it's too late for that now. We, like, always introduce ourselves. Why would you just expect me to introduce you this time? It's nice to be appreciated. Since the recording of this last episode, Ryan has become a diva, apparently. Yeah, and since no one's going to say it, I guess I'll say it. I'm Ryan Toon, the other host of this podcast. You know, half of the reason they tune in. Uh, Yes. Exactly. See, this is why I just give you the opportunity to do your own introduction. Uh, Far be it from me to presume what you you might want to be called or how you might want to be introduced. I, I just think it's better for you to do it yourself. I mean, we can agree to disagree. All right. Well, regardless, the <laughs> listeners are here for a brand new episode of Preview Review. Or they're here with no idea what Preview Review is. And to those people, Ryan, what would you say? Well, welcome to Preview Review. Every episode is somebody's first episode. And yours just happens to be, what, episode 51? 52? 53! 53. I'm out of it. Um, But... I mean, is, you were only, like, one and two off. It's this not is, that uh, out of it. This is the movie trailer podcast, Tyler. Where we talk about four specific movie trailers, but those four trailers just four every for fifty three episodes we've been talking about these four fucking trailers. Have you seen the trailer for yesterday, Tyler? It goes crazy. Everyone forgot Wait, what about was the, the original Beatles. One? The first episode, what we do? Men in Black International. Uh, I think yesterday was in there. The Dead Don't Die. Oh, uh, and it was yeah, Dark Phoenix. Maybe yeah, it sounds familiar. Wow, the good old days. I mean, now we're talking about other movies like Halloween Ends, Ooh. Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Ooh. Black Adam, Ooh. Weird, the Al Yankovic Ooh. story, and whatever I have in Ryan's Review Roundup, but that's a different segment. Yeah, those are the trailers that we're talking about today, and I'm excited for some of these movies. I'll probably see all four of these movies. I mean, that's almost always true. Not always. You have to do the research. For Ryan's review, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. I have yet to watch Hocus Pocus 2, so I'm letting the fans down. Oh, perfect. You can fill in. Great. (laughs) (laughs) So before we jump into discussion on those four trailers that we have on today's episode, let's go to our recurring segment where Ryan tells us about movies that we previously preview-reviewed that he's seen and what he thinks of the finished product. Because sometimes movies are more than what the trailers show. And sometimes they're In fact, less. almost always they are. Sometimes you see the trailer and you go, damn, that looks like a good movie. And then you see it and you go, what was that shit? But, like, almost always the the movie is longer than the trailer. So it's like, there's oh, more to true. it. Like, quantity-wise. <laughs> yes. Not quality-wise. Quality <laughs> okay, I understand. Anyways, it's time for Ryan's Review Roundup. Ryan's Review Roundup. Ryan, please tell us, what'd you see, what'd you think? Well, I already told you I haven't seen Hocus Pocus 2, so I'll have you get into that a little later. But first, I saw Bros, the Billy Eichner, uh, Judd Apatow rom-com. I think it's very wholesome. Well, I guess not. It's kind of raunchy. But it's like sweet. You see it and you go, aww, and you laugh a couple times, and then you go, hmm, and you look at your watch and you go, this could have been 15 minutes shorter. Uh, we could have cut some of these jokes. We could have tightened it up a little bit. What was the runtime on it? It's like 
a little over two hours, I think. Oh, it should be an under two hour movie yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it's like two hours and 15 minutes. Oh, yeah. Um, Could have been like a 150 situation. Yeah, maybe even like a 149, you know, just a little wow. under. Price is right in there. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, but if you decide to go see this movie, I think you'll have a good time. I don't know anyone that has seen this movie that has said, you, I hate it. <laughs> I don't know it. anyone that has seen this movie, <laughs> period. You know me. That that's true. I that was more of a uh, that's more of a joke about it kind of flopping at the box that's office true. than it was any type of literal statement. It it it, it is not doing well. So if you want, but that's because it, of the homophobes, uh, right? Well, that's what Billy Eichner said after week one, and then a lot of people were upset because maybe they just didn't have time to go see it. And Billy Eichner was like, "Everyone who didn't see it opening weekend is a homophobe." And then they're like, "Well, now I'm not going to see it out of spite because he called me a homophobe. I was going to go see it weekend two. But now I'm never going to go see it. So I mean, maybe... it feels like the kind of thing that could have some longer legs. But also, it feels like a weird choice to release in the fall. Why didn't they just put this out, like, rom-com, like, February, March time frame? It That's, feels like it could have been a lot better. I was thinking about that, too. And I was like, what if they just pushed it back to February, like, next February? Yeah. How would it do? And then I realized, like, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania was coming out that month. And I'm like, ooh, maybe not the best time. It'll get swallowed up by superhero box office. What about, like, the weekend before that? You know, like, end of January, early Feb. Yeah. Where I, there's, like, normally not, like, great... Like, everything going to theaters that time frame is, like, a bad horror movie or, ooh. like, a hokey comedy. And to have something a little bit more genuine coming out. I mean... It just feels like a weird choice for, like, early October yeah. to me. And it makes sense that it lost at the box office to the horror film Smile, right? That... It totally makes sense. And Smile had... I mean, I saw a lot of promotion for Bros, but that might just be, like, my corner of the internet. But also, Smile had, like, several viral marketing campaigns, and it's mm-hmm. been, it's won the box office, what, two weekends in a row now? So yeah. it makes a lot more sense that that movie would, would outperform Bros, for sure. Yeah. And you look at it, rom-coms, like, don't go to theaters anymore. So, like, the audience is smaller. That's true, It's yeah. an R-rated comedy. You've got an R rating. That audience is smaller already, unless you're a horror film, which has its own built-in yeah. audience, right? Um, so there are a lot of things working against this, plus, you know, rap, like, raging homophobes across the United yeah. States, which is also a thing um, that did not... It definitely doesn't help, but it's not to say that that's the only yes only factor, right? I think it is, like, a big factor, but I don't think it's the only factor. Yeah. But it's a good movie. Go see it. On the other hand, it's a bad movie. Don't see it. Don't worry, darling. Um, I'm worried, darling. I think that might be the first time anyone's made that joke on the internet, Tyler. Yes. Wow, you're so smart. Thank you. <laughs> I was gonna say that joke. But then I thought, hmm, maybe Tyler will say it. And I did. So we're in sync. Unlike Olivia Wilde and Florence Pugh. <laughs> Anybody in that movie. <laughs> um, but I don't know. This movie is very good at setting the tone. And Olivia Wilde like, obviously has a good directorial eye. Visually um, stunning. Yes. Um, like it's very, very good. I just wish it had a better story. Yeah. Florence Pugh does an immaculate job at what she's given, and she, I think, elevates the material. But uh, the movie is like two thirds set up and then a rushed payoff that doesn't really satisfy. Um, so, if, I mean, I really enjoyed the first two thirds of the movie, uh, but I mean, if you're going to go see it, you're going to watch it and you're going to go, what, how does it mm-hmm. end? And you're going to see how it ends and you're going to go, that's it? Yeah. And then you're going to have weird questions after you leave, but not the good questions. Not the kind of questions that, you know, you want to have after leaving a movie. You saw this one too, Tyler. Uh, what are your thoughts on Don't yeah. Worry, Darling? Definitely, I was very underwhelmed. And I'm not the kind of person that dislikes 
ambiguity ambiguity in a film at all. I'm not the type of viewer that needs every question spelled out and you know answered for me. But there was just there was that type of dissatisfaction to an extent that felt less like an intentional choice to keep the audience guessing and wondering and more of like it was just a half-baked script to begin with and I think that it's just hard like when it's so glaring that it feels like the creative team behind the film didn't have a good concept to land on um it's it's hard to defend as a film um great performance by Florence Pugh great visuals but when the film is mostly visuals and very little story um it feels like kind of a waste of time and i mean the what i think is a very clever pun that i capped my letterbox review off with was that this film feels like styles over substance oh. with the choice to cast harry for seemingly no reason related to his actual performance talent um i mean even the dancing i felt like the dancing sequence an actor could have done a better dance. No, no, they needed Harry Styles <laughs> to do that. See, that scene, I think, I, I don't know, if you haven't seen the movie... They didn't even let him sing. They a, made him dance and, like, twirl around. Yeah, there's a scene in the movie where he, like, dances and twirls around, like, in front of people for, like, maybe, like, five to ten minutes. Way too long. Um, But if you look at that scene, like, I feel like it's a perfect metaphor for the entire movie. We want you, like, we know you're here to see Harry Styles do his song and dance. Here he is doing his dance, and then jump cut to Florence Pugh having a break cut in the bathroom at the same time. Yes, 100%. All while Olivia Wilde is comforting Florence Pugh, trying to say, don't worry, everything's alright, there's nothing wrong with this production. Yeah, and even though that's not the case. Yeah, uh, 100%. And it just goes to show that, like, no amount of visual aesthetic can take away from a thinly written story and that is the takeaway i think from don't worry darling i think if they had invested a little bit more time into either trying to cut down and refine the story into like say i was saying like a 30 45 minute episode of like the twilight zone or black mirror could have like adapted this type of story or they could have stretched out and done a little bit more exposition and payoff in like a mini series format like either of those things could have been a benefit but this random like two and a half hour runtime felt too long and too short at the same time. Hmm, I like that. They they embarked on too much and weren't able to wrap it all up. And if they had either set their sights smaller scale, they could have paid it off better or had stretched it out. They could have done a little bit more, but it just landed in this weird limbo that, yeah, to me, not great. If you found out, that there's a four-hour cut of Don't Worry Darling, and they're re-releasing it in theaters, the four-hour extended the edition. four-hour cut? Would you go see I it? I think I would. I, I didn't mind watching it in theaters. I thought the film looked beautiful, and some of the, like, directorial choices and the performances, eh, it, it was fun. Um, I don't know what they would have an hour and a half more content to bolt, like... It's just every time Harry Styles leaves, and if you've seen the movie, you know that It's means. actually just that that dancing scene is no, no. an hour and a half longer. You get to see whatever Harry Styles does during the day. Oh, okay. So, like, if you've seen the movie, you know what that means, and it's just him living his life during the no, day. No, then I'm out. <laughs> and for that reason, I'm out. If it's more Harry, I'm out. Oh, yeah. It's more Harry. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. And at the end, there's a post credit scene, and it's just his concert. Like, the entire show. 
Oh, I'd pay to go see that. I'm not going to get a ticket to the real thing. <laughs> you just show up two and a half hours late. <laughs> Actually, scratch that. I'll just watch it on TikTok live. It's always on TikTok. They're always... Every night... Maybe not every night. Almost every night that Harry Styles performed at MSG, scrolling through TikTok, I found at least one live video of the concert. And there's always some random celebrity there. Like, I'm sitting behind John Krasinski. <laughs> Um, so those are all the movies I saw, but Tyler, have you seen any other movies? Like, uh, maybe Amsterdam? I didn't see Amsterdam. I, <laughs> I mean, nobody, I saw the clip on Twitter. Nobody saw Amsterdam. That movie bombed, too. But I did see Hocus Pocus 2. It was really fun. I enjoyed seeing the trio of actresses back as the Sanderson sisters. I thought Hannah Waddingham and Sam Richardson made great, um... Hannah Waddingham's in that movie? Yeah, I didn't even know until I saw the movie. Sorry, spoiler alert. Um, They make great additions. My one kind of qualm with it is it definitely feels like... I mean, I expected it to play to the nostalgia, but I think over time, Hocus Pocus became like this movie associated with like Disney Channel. But if you watch the original, like it's kid friendly, but it's kind of still like a spooky and like the stakes are real. In the first movie. And this one felt very kiddified. Interesting. It very, very much turned it into like a Disney movie at its core. Um, like appropriate for like toddlers. Um, so like- There's like a pivotal plot point where the mayor of Salem is in danger. Who's also played wonderfully by Tony Hale. Um, and he's in danger of the sisters. And yet they decide to instead turn his storyline into like he has to wait in a really long line to buy a candy apple and it just because it just feels very like oh you really could have made it like matter that he was in danger and instead he's like upset that he's waiting in this line does that make sense yeah that makes sense i mean i haven't seen the movie but it makes me think of like but can you like see what i'm trying to describe i don't want to give away too much there's also a choice around one of the main characters that i think is quite ridiculous um and anybody that's seen the movie knows what i'm talking about was it the roombas no, the choice about one of the main girls having a connection to the Sanderson sisters. What you're saying uh, reminds me of Disney Channel did a remake of Freaky Friday. So it just reminds me what, like, I haven't seen the remake, mm-hmm. but it makes me like, that's what I imagine when I think like the Lindsay Lohan Freaky Friday versus the made for Disney Channel right. Freaky Friday. Yeah. And I think it's great. Like, it is so fun to see like Kathy and Jimmy writing her Roombas and like playing those characters again. Uh, I was going to say Sarah Michelle Gellar. Other three names. Sarah Jessica Parker gets a wonderful, like, they boost her character a lot in this this new one. And I love getting to see her, like, embody that character more. But, I don't know. There's just some choices that it feels like they're playing to the nostalgia and, like, the millennial audiences that want to show this to their kids rather than trying to make an actual sequel to the original movie. Which is maybe not a bad thing. Maybe it can be, like, its own thing. I just think when you make it Hocus Pocus 2... I wanted to see a little bit more, like, of a similar vibe to to the original. But, and, I, I mean, I definitely had a great time watching it. And there's they up it to three musical numbers this time. What? Quite fun. Wow. Quite fun. And, I mean, you can't go wrong with a Bette Midler musical number. Just a blast. That's true. Cool. I mean, I'll probably watch it before Halloween. Yeah, take a know? peek. See what you think. It's on Disney+. Plus. I got Disney+. Plus. No sweat off my back. Yeah. But yeah. Well, uh, 
thanks for joining me on Ryan's Review Roundup, Tyler. I couldn't have done Absolutely. it without you. I loved, loved being here. Yeah, thanks for guesting on normally, my podcast. Normally when he does this segment, I have to leave the room, so. Yeah, I grab the mic and go, this is my podcast now. <laughs> and you can go back and check any episode. I do that every single time. Tyler, you got to splice it in. Sometimes I, no, I, sometimes I just cut it out because it hurts my feelings. Oh. It's okay. Well, he's not going to cut it out of this one because I'll say it again. It's my podcast now. <laughs> All right. Ryan's Review Roundup is over. It's back to our podcast. Yay! It's like that uh, communism meme, you know, our. Our <laughs> Well, the first trailer that we're discussing today on our podcast is my kind of Halloween film. Goodbye, Hocus Pocus 2. Hello, Halloween ends. Hmm. But this that is, sounds like it's a goodbye. This is the third and possibly final installment in this reboot trilogy of the Halloween films directed well, by it might David be the Gordon Green. If you count the original as like part of that franchise. Well, it's the third of the reboot trilogy though. The reboot mm. like was announced as like we're doing these this trilogy of movies as a sequel to the original, right? So okay, it's the okay. third of those. But the fourth in, in the continuity that it's establishing but like of the like the Michael Myers Halloween movie. Oh, like overall yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know, twenty fifth. Maybe like what are we at? Probably like 12-ish? Let's think. Uh, you keep reading that and I'll do some counting in my brain. Do you have them all memorized? Yeah. Why? <laughs> I don't know. It's just in there. You haven't even seen all of them. I haven't. There's, I can, I can, I'll prove you, it to you. Yeah, okay. Uh, let's Halloween. do it right now. Halloween. Halloween, Halloween 2. Halloween, Halloween, Halloween season, of witch, season of the Witch. Which isn't really in the Michael Myers universe, but that's okay. Halloween there's four, four five. Return of Michael Return, Miles. yes. Five Curse is... Of, Curse of Michael Myers? No, I think that's six. Whatever. But there's the the first six. Yeah. And then you have uh, H2O. And then Resurrection. Resurrection. Then you have the two Rob Zombie mm-hmm. remakes. And then you got the three David Gordon Green. So this will be the 13th. Ooh, spooky. Well, but th- those don't all... Like, Halloween Ends isn't a sequel to all of those movies. This The continuity of this one is the original Halloween and then the three most recent films. 2018, Halloween Kills, and Halloween Ends. Right? Yes, you coming to me, the Halloween expert... Uh, I can confirm that you're Well, I don't think you're the Halloween expert, but I think you're the expert of continuity. I kind of am. It depends on the franchise. Uh, If you give me, like, Friday the 13th continuity, I can't do it. I don't know if Jason X is canon or not. Jason, nobody knows if Jason X is canon or not. (laughs) I was going to say Jason doesn't know, but he's a fictional character, so he he wouldn't know anyways. He he might know. He goes, this is canon to my life right now at this point in time. (laughs) Jason takes Manhattan. Is it canon? Maybe. I don't know, Friday but I love it. Jason? Is that canon? I don't even know. Um, but Halloween Ends is also being directed by David Gordon Green, who did 2018 as well as Kills. He also directed, like, The Pineapple Express, which I think is funny. Um, this movie comes out on October 14th, and it stars, once again, Jamie Lee Curtis, reprising her role as Laurie Strode, um, Andy Matichak, James Jude Courtney, and Nick Castle playing The Shape, a.k.a. Michael Myers, and Kyle Richards reprising her role, again, from the original film, as well as uh, her appearance in Halloween Kills. I'm so excited for Halloween Ends. I was just kind of talking before we started recording about how much I loved Halloween 2018. It's probably, I don't know, maybe in my top uh, 10 to 15 horror movies ever. Wow. Um, I really, really loved it. I mean, Halloween is my number one favorite slasher slash horror slash um, maybe movie in general. Um, but the Halloween 2018 was a, a wonderful reboot um, to the franchise Absolutely loved it. Halloween Kills, a significant step down, but because I love the franchise so much, I still really, really enjoyed it. And some great kills and sequences from Michael Myers, which, you know, kind of got a root for the villain. Shout out Lexi from the last episode. 
And now we arrive here at Halloween Ends, and I'm really excited to see how David Gordon Green's kind of trilogy uh, wraps up here. Um, in this film, we're jumping four years ahead after the events of Halloween 2018 and Halloween Kills, which took place on the same night. Um, jumping four years ahead and seeing the what is being branded as like the final showdown, the last stand. Um, this trailer say their saga ends between Laurie Strode and Mike Myers, everything not Mike Myers, Michael Myers, <laughs> groovy baby. Um, the saga that started off on that original night um, in Haddonfield in the original Halloween movie. And we're going to see how it all goes down. And, and Lori is saying, you know, maybe in order for Michael Myers to die, I also have to die. And she's going to put her life on the line to finally um, ensure that, you know, evil truly does die tonight. I'm worried for this one, buddy. Halloween Kills was such a downgrade to me. I don't know. You really liked that movie, and I came out of it very lukewarm slash very negative on it. Um, I don't know. It feels like that movie could have been like the extended version of Halloween 2018, um, but then they just kept doing things. And then like that movie ends, and like Michael Myers should have died so many times in that movie. I don't know how they're gonna like justify him dying or whatever happens at the end of this movie. Like, if Michael Myers is killed by, like, Laurie just stabbing him, I don't know if I'm going to buy it after I saw what they did to that man. And right. No, 100%. And But that's always, I mean, that is the trope of Michael Myers. It's like, he survives. And I wouldn't even be surprised if Halloween ends, ends with a cliffhanger that suggests that he could still be alive. I mean, I thought what they did at the end of 2018 was, like, that is the way to kill Michael Myers. Spoiler alert, you lock him in a fucking basement and you burn the place to the ground. Like, that should have been, like, and that is why I think 2018 stands alone so well as, like, an independent installation as a Halloween movie. And yeah. it could be the end of Michael Myers' story. And I love that it is, like, the summation of Laurie Schroeder and her daughter and her granddaughter coming together to defeat Michael Myers. Halloween Kills, okay, they're just, they're trying to make m more movies out of this idea rebooting this franchise so they're doing this kind of filler it happens on the same night and you know it definitely was a step down but i liked elements of it a lot i liked being able to see more kills from michael myers i like being reintroduced to some of the other characters from the original film i like that this film is exploring the trauma that's shared by collectively by this town that went through the events that it did um and and what might happen if that threat is once again reintroduced to these people and how different folks might respond but ultimately it is Lori's story and that's why i'm excited to see how jamie lee curtis is really going to carry the finale of this trilogy and how her story of the saga between her and michael myers ends yeah and i think because that first 2018 film was so strong i'm still excited to see this movie and i still want to go see it um I don't know. I feel like this feels very similar to uh, the Jurassic World trilogy to me. Oh, right. I really liked the first one. Had a great time with it. Fun reboot. Could have stood on its own if it needed to. Second one, big downgrade. Probably like one of the worst in the franchise. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't seen most of the Halloween movies, so I don't know if that's true for Halloween Kills. Um, I've heard there's some pretty bad ones. <laughs> um, and then the third one comes back. It wraps everything up nicely. Uh, it's kind of like the big culmination of like your heroes that you've seen even from the, like the original original film, mm -hmm. um, and it's better than the second one, but it's still just all right. Maybe not even that good. Um, at least that's how it went for Jurassic World. I'm hoping it turns out better for Halloween Ends, but they seem very similar in the trajectory they're following, and I just hope that they can really send it home with this one. Yeah, and I think ultimately, like 
I don't think it's really even possible for Halloween Ends to unseat Halloween 2018. I don't think it can be the best of this new trilogy um, because the first one is just that good. Um, but I do think I'm watching it more for the emotional catharsis and the payoff of seeing this chapter conclude between Laurie and Michael than I am to like the first one had a bigger job to do to reintroduce Michael Myers, reintroduce old characters, new characters, create the thread again and like reestablish like this is what our Michael Myers in this timeline looks like. Mm-hmm. And that is they did that so well. This movie doesn't have as much of that to happen so they can invest more in just like we're going to watch them beat the shit out of each other over and over and over again. Um yeah. and and, the- and we're going to get to see how this plays out and I'm just curious to see you know what the writers do with it because ultimately i mean i guess not really in halloween kills for certain reasons but ultimately we've had a laurie v michael showdown in the other halloween movies and so how is this one going to differ from the ones that have come before right yeah and it's interesting they're introducing this plot of like laurie thinks if i die then he can die too yeah it's like horcrux shit it's weird like suicide pact with michael myers like what's she doing i don't know but honestly, I kind of understand where she's coming from. She watched that last movie. She goes, if this shit didn't kill this man, <laughs> what the hell would? I know. For some reason, he's all about me. If I'm no longer, maybe he's no longer. A hundred percent. And I also wonder, like, how they're justifying the four-year time jump. Like, he comes in 2018. He wreaks havoc on Haddonfield for that night. And then why does he go missing for four years? Why is that only after 2022? What causes him to come back and him and Lori to... To have this final showdown. Well, I'm, I'm um, interested to see why they're writing it in this in that lens. Because in between 2018 and 2022, a global pandemic happened. Oh, Michael Myers was like, fuck that. I'm fucking staying home. He's like, I'm, I'm going to save lives and stay home. He goes, you know what I do? I wear my mask. <laughs> I never take that shit off. <laughs> I don't know. Lori looks like she might take it off in this yeah. movie. There's a There's a clip. He's got both hands pinned down to the kitchen counter and she starts lifting that mask. It's because Laurie Strode is a Q-truther. Oh, yeah. She's like, take that fucking mask off. Because Dimmick's not even real, you little I bitch. feel like Jimmy Lee Curtis could play that role actually shockingly well. She gets her gun out. We're <laughs> not going to take my freedom away. <laughs> Terrible. But, you know, my battle will be in the seat opening night. I'm excited for Halloween ends. We'll see how this all plays out. And regardless, again, like, my, my most base, like, satisfaction... Just like Halloween Kills, I got to see some awesome, brutal kills from Michael Myers, and I'm going to get to see that shit again on the big screen. So, like, I'm hype. I mean, if Michael goes back to his silly roots, and he puts on a sheet and some glasses, <laughs> I, love I that will be fucking satisfied. Tweet. Such a rascal. <laughs> I love silly Michael. Put another tombstone in the bed, please. Oh my gosh, <laughs> He stopped being silly. We need to go back to the roots, He's Michael. too serious. You died like nine times. Take it easy, bro. Amazing. Um, well, a somber segue, but speaking, speaking of, of those death. who died, Black Panther Wakanda Forever comes out on November 11, 2022. <laughs> this movie no longer stars Chadwick Boseman. R.I.P. But it does star Letitia Wright, Lupita Nyong'o, Danai Guerrero, Winston Duke, Dominique Thorne, Tanok Huerta, Martin Freeman, and Angela Bassett. And of course is directed again by Ryan Coogler, who did the first Black Panther movie, uh, the first Creed movie and Fruitvale Station. This is the follow-up to 2016's Black Panther, but so much has changed since then. Uh, like we mentioned earlier, Chadwick Boseman, the star of the original film, has passed away in real life, um, and they've kind of had to rework this movie to basically 
change the entire plot, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like the Wakandans are struggling in their nation and their grief of their former king and yeah. trying to figure out how they're going to pass this mantle of the Black Panther yeah. protector to the next uh, person or persons. We don't know who the mantle is going mm-hmm. to be given to. So the character of um, T'Challa from the Black Panther films is uh, also yes. canonically died uh, in between the films, uh, which is kind of sad that we're giving T'Challa an off-screen death, but there's not really much we can do about it. It's what they had to work with. <laughs> yeah. So I would much rather this happen <clears throat> than like some weird try to recast it CGI or do like a CG abomination just to kill T'Challa. Or like, I mean, technically they wouldn't even have to CG him if they just had just like imagine the film just opens with like. T'Challa in the Black Panther suit, like getting killed. No, I don't. Think I don't think they should do it. Do it. That's like bad. the the way they're doing it seems actually really um, respectful. respectful and honoring of what Chadwick Boseman gave to this role. Um, it feels even like the movie is like a celebration of his life as well, and and at least his performance in this role, as it is an like continuation and celebration of the character of T'Challa, um, and. The, the sequences in this trailer, I mean, this is one of the most visually stunning trailers I've seen all year. The sequences of the Wakandan, what I can assume are the Wakandan like funeral processions, and the characters dressed in all white uh, rather than all black. Um, and it just looks amazing. There's incredible costume design, production design, um, once again inspired by like various tribal groups uh, from Africa, um, inspiring this like fictional Wakandan uh, community. And it just looks gorgeous, and I'm excited to see... Um, how they continue the story, how they move forward with introducing new characters as well, but also just, I mean, I know I'm going to sob in the first 20 minutes uh, seeing a new Black Panther film um, without without Chadwick Boseman there. Yeah. Um, and you touched on it a little bit. This movie is delving deeper into like the mythology of the different corners of the Marvel Universe, right? We're going to be seeing uh, Namor the Submariner, who might not be called Namor the Submariner in the movie. He might just be called Namor. Um, because I know they changed what he, like in the comics he comes from Atlantis and in the movie he's going to, like that nation has a different name. Um, but, and it's more based on like an underwater tribal community that looks inspired by like the indigenous peoples of like, uh, central and South America, like Mayan, Aztec influences and North America. Yeah. But like Southern North America, like Mexico, like Mexico. (laughs) Yeah. Um, because it doesn't look like, you know, Native American tribes. It right. looks like uh, indigenous people from, like, Mexico or, like you were saying, like, Southern and Central America um, with big headdresses and things like that. Where Namor is the ruler of this underwater land um, and they're waging war on the Atlantic. It looks like it's setting up tension region. between this civilization and Wakanda. But I can't help but shake the feeling, Ryan, this is a bait-and-switch villain situation. I don't think the ultimate arc of this movie is, like, Wakanda versus... Uh, Namor's civilization. Not Atlantis. Um, I I think there is something else at work here um, that we're we're gonna be like revealed to. It feels like it would be too simplistic for the movie to go in that direction to me. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know what they're setting up here. Be- Sometimes Namor is a villain in the comics. Like, I haven't read a lot of Marvel comics, but what I have read is like almost every comic from the nineteen sixties that features Spider Man. Um. <laughs> And you know who was around in the 1960s? Namor the Submariner. He showed up sometimes. He was mainly a Fantastic Four adversary. Oh, interesting. Which is interesting. So, oh, so he's canonically a villain in the comics? Sometimes. Oh, okay. Kind of like a weird... He's like Black Adam. We'll okay. get to that later. Right. <laughs> um, 
So, uh, he kind of, like, rules Atlantis, but he also kind of, like, got exiled from Atlantis for being a mutant. Like, in the comics, mm-hmm. he's canonically, like, the first mutant that was introduced in the comics. He's also one of the oldest, like, Marvel comic characters. Like, even before the Fantastic Four, there was, like, a name where the Submariner comic. Um, and basically in every comic I've read that features Namor the Submariner from the 60s, all he wants to do is, like, sleep with Sue Storm. Like, <laughs> that's his goal. And sometimes, like, he like he's like, hey, doesn't Reed Richards suck? And Sue's like, yeah. And Sue just decides to go with Namor for, like, that issue. Like, um, but in, he looks very different in this movie. But they kept his little wing feet. Yeah, I know. Fun. I saw that. It looked great. I like that. He looks like a great representation of the character. His race in the comics is sort of ambiguous, so you could have cast any, I think, non-white actor would have done. Um, and adding the, like, Aztecian Mayan, like, ancestry to it kind of, like, gives it, like, a real-world basis that I'm really mm-hmm. excited to see. Well, it's just a great, like, kind of cultural um, piece of representation, too, like, as Wakanda has kind of been inspired by this amalgamation of various like African tribal groups, so is like uh, Namor and his civilization and culture inspired by like kind of this amalgamation, but like not amalgamation in like a bad way, but in a good way of like taking different pieces of and representing those on screen mm-hmm. of various civilizations and cultures. Yeah, so I'm excited to see what Ryan Coogler does with Namor and uh, whatever they call New Atlantis. Um, but there's another new character they're introducing, Tyler. Uh, Riri Williams. Ironheart! Uh, she's played by Dominic Thorne. Um, in the comics, she's like the mentee of Tony Stark. So a lot of the times, uh, or a lot of the stuff you've seen in the MCU where like Tony's mentoring Peter Parker, like Spider-Man, like he does that in the comics with by that Riri dynamic, Williams, yeah. right? Um, so she's the new face. She is like super smart, builds her own Iron Man suit and things like that. Uh, like speculation time i think she might be like at the end of the first movie they set up that outreach program i think she might be one of like the star pupils from that program Mm. that would make a lot of sense and i think like i mean what they establish is wakanda is this civilization that's like incredibly advanced the people are so incredibly smart they have they're so incredibly resourced like it's only a matter of time that some, even some random teenager from Wakanda could like rival Tony Stark in terms of what they're able to create and invent yeah. with those resources, but, you know? Uh, in the comics, Riri is not from Wakanda. And so I think maybe she's like, you know, they set up that outreach center in Oakland. So I think oh, she's okay. like, she maybe was found oh, interesting. by one of those like low income, like we're going to promote STEM in these areas that don't usually get enough resources to do that kind of thing. I do wonder, yeah, that'd be amazing. Um, I would love to see kind of this tie-in. And, like, it kind of also goes to show that there was, like, fruit coming from the philosophy behind even Killmonger's, like, desire from the first movie. Because Killmonger, I think, has come down to be viewed as a villain that, like, maybe not the best approach, but, like, the right intentions. Mm -hmm. Um, And seeing that T'Challa's heart was changed by Killmonger's, like, vision... So he helped to establish this program, and then that might yield something that is very fruitful and powerful in protecting Wakanda, protecting the world. Um, that would be kind of a great tribute, not only to T'Challa's work, but also to Killmonger's initial villain that I think viewers of the film have often like sympathized with. Oh, totally. Um, and 
like it just goes to show like in the trailer you see that like uh shuri who play is played by Letitia wright who is uh t'challa's younger sister already has like some sort of like familial relationship with dominic thorns riri williams so like uh maybe they have a like mentor mentee relationship mm, totally. or maybe like uh riri's intelligence is like challenging shuri's and like they're like more peers each other, and, yeah. kind of thing like that um which like leads into the next thing of like who is the next Black Panther? I think the second trailer kind of tells you, and the new posters show that like we think it's gonna be Shuri. Like the new suit that they show, like has the same face paintings that Shuri has in different scenes in this mm-hmm. trailer. Um, but an interesting theory I just heard recently, like maybe like yesterday or earlier today, was that uh, what if there are like multiple Black Panthers? Yeah. So like, what if they're like like hey these like underwater technology like can actually hurt us in these suits it's not impenetrable like it used to be so everyone just put one on because it's the best armor we have and let's go fight yeah there's got to be something more to it because i think if it was as simple as shuri as younger sister is taking over the black panther mantle i think that could have been established in the trailer Mm -hmm. um there's got to be something else going on that i think yeah there's a reason why it hasn't been simply announced or revealed um and Shuri seems like the most obvious answer and yeah I'm seeing headlines about how and I forget if it was Ryan Coogler or Kevin Feige or some other part of the Marvel or Black Panther creative team saying like people have yet to guess correctly online who it is and I'm like surely people have guessed Shuri so then yeah. who else could it be right which is why I'm like Angela Bassett no one expects her to come and be it but she's like the biggest I am the queen I'm taking the mantle back and we get like 10 years of awesome Angela Bassett action films who knows the biggest twist is uh, they give it to Martin Freeman. Yeah, exactly. Here you go. Don't white watch the character. Only one white actor that made it into these giant films, like made by and made for black audiences. But yeah. now you can be the hero. But surely Letitia Wright has been guessed. Lupita Nyong'o has been guessed. Danai Guerrero has been guessed. Winston Duke has been guessed. But what maybe hasn't been guessed is all, of all four of them getting their own fucking Black Panther suit sick, and right? fucking shit up. I would go absolutely bonkers in the theater. Um, so Dude. I'm excited for this. It'll be a great reveal. I can't wait to see. I thought Ryan Coogler had a great directorial vision through the first film. I can't wait to see what he does again at the helm. Mm-hmm. My only, I mean, it's another MCU installment. Once again, we're having to like introduce a new, introduce multiple new characters into the MCU like vision, bringing in Namor, bringing in Ironheart, and it can be done well. But it just it continues to wear on like the MCU fatigue when. Stories are being told for the sake of this, like, chess move of, like, getting characters in position for where they need to be for the next film or the next installment. That can get tiresome when it's not, like, we're just writing this movie because this is a story we want to tell with these characters. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so my only hesitation comes to the fact that it is another franchise film and we're just going to have to deal with the fact that some choices will be made because it's the right choice for the character and some choices will be made because this is what's right for the cinematic universe. And we're just going to have to... Well, and those might be the same thing sometimes, but yeah. I, I just think as a viewer, it you know, there might be situations where we're left unsatisfied because we just have to be for now and, and there's more at play. You know what I mean? Yeah, but something that like helps me not have that fear as much is that this has like, been announced as the last film of this current phase of the MCU. This is the end right. of phase four, which means maybe like there's some sort of like culmination or like some sort of like epitaph uh for this like time period of the 
universe. But then again, phases don't mean anything. It's just a way to market your movies. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it only stems from like the the feelings I had after having seen Thor Love and Thunder and Doctor Strange the Multiverse of Madness this year of like I like Doctor Strange as a character. I like Thor as a character, but feeling like these movies are written more to like check certain boxes for them and for the MCU overall rather than like we want to tell this really great story about Stephen Strange dealing with something. It's like all the emotional weight that was put onto Doctor Strange about like him dealing with his love life and like all that stuff Are was you like happy Doctor Strange? felt like that was painted over after the fact when they decided like we're already making this movie about the multiverse because that's what we have to do for this character. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so, but I mean, not luckily, but like what Black Panther has going for it is I think there's a lot of emotional weight up front with this character and with the story that they have to tell. And then they can see where does this naturally lead from here that may open up other parts of the cinematic universe, but also has to be in some ways a conclusion to the chapters that we've had so far with T'Challa as Black Panther. And so um, I, I'm not saying that I have that as like a top concern. It's just, it's something that floats around when we're in a MCU centric world and yeah, every like- new film that releases from the studio has 200 plus hours of other content that has preceded it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um- and more that will continue to follow. But another thing that, like, gives me hope for this movie is that in Phase 4 specifically, it seems like they've kind of really let directors, like, shine. You oh, know? absolutely. Like, Doctor Strange is definitely a Sam Raimi film. Eternals is definitely a Chloe Zhao film, you know? One uh, yeah. Taika is full Taika in Thor Love and Thunder, right? So, hopefully, Ryan Coogler is just able to power through, because uh, he helps write these movies, too, so... Yeah, and he had a great relationship with Chadwick Boseman, was one of the few people to even know about his cancer diagnosis during the filming of Black Panther. And so I think this process of making this film must have been incredibly difficult, but also incredibly um, maybe cathartic or like fulfilling in a way for him Mm -hmm. to say goodbye to this character and open up a new chapter moving forward. Um, So, I mean, and are we going to talk about this trailer without talking about the Bob Marley no woman no cry cover into Kendrick Lamar's all right because it is so fucking great it is it's like truly wonderful i mean it, just watch the trailer honestly it does more for you than we could even describe here yeah um, just immediate tears immediate smiles like it brings everything and yeah so excited for this film yeah same well tyler we've spoken about forever and that you know, Wakanda for, forever. Forever happens in the future. Mm-hmm. But we need to speak about what's happened in the past. Oh, long ago? Yeah, summer 2022. Oh, such a long time ago. Uh, if uh, Loyal listeners will remember, at the beginning of the summer, Tyler and I uh, decided to predict what the summer box office would look like. The and, top 10 movies of the summer. Yes, yeah, so we're trying to look for to see uh, which movies will gross the most money across the summer. All that you have to do is be a movie that is released in the summer box office season to qualify. And Tyler came up with his list of 10 and I came up with my list of 10. And they were very similar. Maybe some different movies in different areas. Um, But they might be very different from the actual box office that has come. So, And if you're completely lost, go back and listen to episode 48. We explained it all back then. I mean, or I guess you could just skip ahead to when we talk about Black Adam. But if you go back and listen to episode 48, we get more listening hours, which is better for us. (laughs) So do that one. Um, But for this game, we are only looking at domestic numbers and we're only looking at in-season releases. 
So if your movie was released, like if your movie was the Batman, it was released in the spring. If it was still making money in May or June, that money does not count towards the box office game that we're playing. We're only talking about movies that were released in the summer and movies that made their money in the summer and then a little bit in the fall because we tried to extend it to let the movies that came out in August have a little bit more of a chance to contend, which worked out. Some of but them now those chances are over. Yeah, there are still some movies that came out in the summer that are in theaters right now, but it's there's like have so little screenings that it's insignificant. Um, their placement on this list probably won't change. And if it does, we'll make a correction. I'll tweet something out or something. I don't know. Yeah, we'll be fine. Oh, I trust you. Wing it. You're like Nate Silver of the box office. You're like, statistically, not. it's in, impossible to happen. It's highly it's unlikely. Highly yeah, improbable. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Yeah, there yeah. we go. Highly. I won't say it's statistically impossible. <laughs> um, I can't give that. But, Tyler, the way this works is you guessed your 10, I guessed my 10. Uh, I'll go ahead and read through the actual top 10. And if you guess that movie on your list anywhere, you get a point. If you guess that movie in the right spot you get two points oh yeah so i'll go through and i think i'm gonna have like zero in the right spot but we'll see we're each gonna tally up how many points and whoever has the most points at the end is the big summer winner let's do it all right so coming in in 10th place for the summer of 2022 with 92 million dollars domestically that's a good amount of money dc league of super pets oh darn i had this at number nine well, that means you get one point. So I get, I do get one point. And where did I have this? Oh, I had this movie at number eight. So I also only get one point. Okay. We both thought Dwayne Johnson was going to take us farther. Yeah. But he didn't. Coming in at number nine with $102 million. This is the only movie that I would say has the potential to move up on the list. But I don't think it's going to happen. So it could move to eight and shift eight to... down to nine? Yes, but... Hmm. Uh, they'd need to make another basically $20 million to do that, and I don't know if it's going to happen. Okay. Um, and that movie is Bullet Train. Oh, I did not have this movie on my list, so that's a big old zero for me. I didn't either. This movie was not on my list. I also got zero points for this. And then coming in at number eight with uh, $118 million. And Tyler, that may sound like a lot of money to you, but this movie was a financial disappointment to the studio. Interesting. This movie is light year. Oh, okay. I had this actually much higher at number six, so and I had still it a point much though. higher at number four, and I'm sure Disney thought it was going to be a lot higher, too. <laughs> but no, it's at number eight. Then coming in at number seven with 123 million dollars is the movie Nope by Jordan Peele. I had Nope at seven. I had Nope at seven as well. Let's go. So that's two more points for each of us. Wow. And then at number six, kind of a surprise box office hit with $151 million domestically, is Elvis. I had Elvis on my list, but farther down. If I had swapped Elvis with Lightyear, I could have had those three in a row, but I didn't. But that's still a point, so... I barely had Elvis on this list. It was at number 10. You had it at 10? It was wow. like, I was like, I don't know if it'll do it, but it did it and then some. And then some, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we're tied at five points right now, Ryan, going yeah. to the top five movies of the summer. Here we go. We'll see. Maybe we're both going to be the big summer winners. Who knows? At number five... With three hundred and forty-three million dollars, a big jump from Elvis's one hundred fifty-one. Yeah, seriously, is Thor: Love and Thunder. I had this up at number three, so I only get one point for that. Oh, I had Thor: Love and Thunder at number five, so that's two for me. Nice. And then coming in at number four, 
just barely more than Thor Love and Thunder, 367 million, is Minions The Rise of Gru. I had Minions at number four. Hey, I had Minions at number three. I thought it was going to do better than it was. So that's only one for me and two for you. And we're tied back back again at eight. Oh, gosh. It's all coming down to the top three, Tyler. I don't know if any of us have the top three in the right order. I definitely don't have them in the right order. Because I know for a fact. I mean, we know know what number one is. Yeah. Um, Okay, but number three. At $376 million is Jurassic World Dominion. Okay, I had a number two. So did I. So All that's right. another point for each of us. Number two, $411 million is Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Yep, and I had that at number one, and so I, I only have ten points. And at number one as well. And then at number one with $714 million, Jeez, almost double what Doctor Strange made, Wow, is Top Gun Maverick. The summer of Top Gun, baby. And I had that at number five. I had it at six. Can you imagine? It? Well, no one knew what it was going to do. I mean, like, yeah. So, so we did it. We're we both the big summer winners. 11. 11 points. Big summer blowout, boys. That's us. But, yeah, wow. And then... The big loser on my list was I put Bob's Burgers on the list. I had Bob's Burgers on the list, too. I had it down at number 10. So uh-huh. I guess for a tiebreaker, we just go with whoever had Top Gun higher, and that's me, so I think I win. Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I had Thor in the right place. <laughs> and I had Minions in the right place and Nope at the right place. Well, I had Nope in the right place, too. But if... It's a dead tie. There's no, there's no denying it. But, uh... Just to show everyone how tragic we are at predicting the box office for Bob's Burgers, it came in at number 15. Oh my gosh. With $31 million. Uh, about $60 million below number 10. Wow. So, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it was didn't help Bob's... that it almost immediately went to Hulu. Well, it, it did And bomb. HBO Max. It, it like had yeah. a very poor first weekend. So, yeah. Uh, congratulations, big summer blowout boy. And uh, to you as well, Big Summer Blowout Boy. Thank you, thank you. Um, speaking of, of box office bombs. No, speaking of Big Summer Blowout Box Office Boys, Dwayne Johnson well, was, I was gonna say Super Pets. Well, I was going to say box office bombs. We can only hope that Black Adam just does terribly. I never hope for the failure I of am, the film. I'm officially hopping on the Black Adam hate train. Wow. Hot take Sally I'm coming in hot. Aboard. I'm climbing aboard, and uh, and you know what? Let's dive into it. Let's get into it here. Uh, Black Adam is coming out on October 21st, directed by Jaume Collette Serra, who directed uh, The Jungle Cruise, The Shallows, and the film Orphan. Stars Dwayne Johnson, Aldous Hodge, Noah Centineo, Sarah Shahi, Pierce Brosnan, Jaimon Hansu, and Viola Davis. And um, it's, you know, Dwayne Johnson's getting a superhero movie in the DC Universe. That's exactly what the trailer looks like. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I should be savage off the bat. I feel like I kind of already was. I feel like I need to pull Here, back a little bit. You want bit. me to go in? I you jump. You jump in and tell us a little bit about it, and then I'll I'll I'll, I'll explain my qualms. All right. So if you've just seen the first trailer, it looks like it's just Dwayne Johnson got an action superhero movie. But if you've seen the much better second trailer, you'll understand. I wouldn't say much better. It is, but it's wait, better. If you compare the first trailer to the second trailer, the second trailer is much better because the first trailer is that bad. Okay, fair enough. Um, it's still not good. Um, so it looks like Black Adam is this former slave who was then bestowed upon the powers of like the same powers that Shazam has. He has the same symbol on his chest, except for his suit is black and he can fly and shoot lightning and stuff like that. Um, 
But apparently he's been, like, dormant or asleep for years, like, hundreds of years. Thousands. And finally he's awake and he's wrecking havoc on the world in modern day. And then the Justice Society of America has to come and stop him and convince him to be a good guy to fight a bigger evil or something. Um, and in the Justice Society, you've got, like, Noah Centineo playing Adam Smasher, uh, Aldous Hodge playing, um, what's his Hawkman, Sarah Shahai, uh, her character in the comics is usually called Isis. I don't know yeah, if they're going to do that in the movie. Um, <laughs> then uh, Pierce Brosnan playing Dr. Fate, um, who's kind of the DC version of Dr. Strange. Um, but anyway, they've come together to try to stop Black Adam and convince him to be a good guy. And that's kind of the premise of the movie. Um, do you think I'm missing anything here, Tyler? Nope. No, that seems like what I'm seeing. Um, and something I'm excited for this movie is actually the more supporting characters. I don't care so much about, like, Dwayne Johnson doing his, like, fun times with Mr. Johnson thing. Um, but I think introducing these, like, supplement, like, these side characters of the JSA is really interesting. Um, I'm curious That's to true. see... That is the most intriguing part of the movie to me, for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see, like, what their dynamic is. Like, is Noah Centineo gonna be, like, a good superhero actor? I don't know. Um, but it's cool to see, like, that they're, like, not shying away from the comic booky campiness of these characters and their costumes. Like, Hawkman has huge wings and his little, uh, what's that thing called? Like a scepter or like the, a... It's like a ball with spikes on yeah, it. Yeah, like a malice. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, he's got that. And I don't know if they're gonna delve into any of these characters' history or if they're just gonna say, like, they're here, deal with it, mm. this is the Black Adam movie and they're just supporting characters. But... I'm excited to see, like, a different direction from the DC universe. It's not so gray and dark and sour, but it's also not the fun, lighthearted, campy tone of, like, the Suicide Squad or Shazam. It's kind of, like, living in the middle. So I'm curious to see, like, where they're going to go It's, like, only... It's, like, barely... It's, like, they're taking these campy characters but putting them in that same old, like, drab DC action. Like, it just looks so... It's so... It's like AI creating another superhero action trailer. Like, I am not peaceful, and I don't surrender. Like, Dwayne Johnson, for how fucking charismatic that man is in every single video I see of him as a real person, why does that never translate to a character that he portrays? Everything feels so scripted and, like, I I don't know. Like, Shazam is, like, one of the few good DC movies because... Like, Zachary Levi has personality and brings charisma to that character. And then you put Dwayne Johnson, one of the biggest, highest paid movie stars of all time, and he just gives you, like, you know, resting wrestler face the whole time. Doesn't give you any type of, like, do you know what I mean? I do. And I think it's because, uh, even though, like, he gives off that charismatic vibe, uh, like, it seems very... Like, he takes Black Adam so seriously, yeah. I think. They take these and it just doesn't, seriously. like, it doesn't um, translate to, like... But I also don't... I also don't want the the classic, like, uh-oh, he's right behind me, isn't he? Like, that also is frustrating to me as well. Uh-huh. Like, I need it to just feel more real. And I think he does this, like, weird, like, almost Shakespearean, like... Everything feels like melodrama. Like, my son died for me 5,000 years. Like, everything feels so, like... Like a Greek tra- like tragedy that I'm like it feels like he's really playing it up to like yes. levels of drama that aren't don't feel real. Well, I wonder if they're like gonna play into that at all because like that could work, you know. Like if he's like the super straight man and everyone else around him is like 
get a load of this guy, right? Right. You know, like uh, Drax in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, that could work, I guess. But Drax doesn't lead the movie, right? Yeah, that's um, and that's I think the problem is like you're positioning Dwayne Johnson as the leading man of the superhero franchise, and like he literally just seems like a every other generic superhero character that's that's existed before, and b every other generic character that Dwayne Johnson has played before. And so it does nothing to differentiate itself from, like, other movies. But that's okay because all of Dwayne Johnson's other movies have made millions and millions of dollars, and that's exactly what the studio wants. True. Um, I am excited to see this movie just because it's been, like, in production hell for so long. Dwayne Johnson has been attached to play Black Adam since, I think, like, 2012. Well, even, like, before Shazam came like, out. so and long so... ago. Um, so I'm, like, excited to see where this all comes to. And I love Shazam. I'm super excited for the Shazam sequel, and so I would love for this to, like tie into that universe as well yeah um in the comics like black adam is an antagonist of shazam or captain marvel as he's called in the well comics. and he was even like foreshadowed in shazam with like whatever there was like seven wizards or that beings but there was like, like an eighth wrecked, right there was an eighth throne or whatever and that was supposed to be black adams uh-huh. um and digimon hansu comes back in this movie playing the same wizard from the first shazam yeah movie, which is weird he's also in the trailer for shazam 2 but that character dies in Shazam, so I don't know what they're gonna, how they're gonna figure that out. <laughs> well, the character that he plays was like one of the eight wizards that like had these different powers, and mm-hmm. that those like translate to the different like Shazam, Black Adam. What if those original eight wizards were like octuplets, oh and God. they're all different characters, but they're all played by Jaimon Hanzu? That'd be kind of funny. But I think like the eight were supposed to be like, I don't know, like similarly to like. The like Hercules, it was kind of like Greek gods, right? Yeah, things like that. And this wizard, his name is Shazam, like the character that Zachary Levi plays. His name isn't Shazam, we just call him that because he says Shazam to be magical, yeah. Um, (laughs) And because of like weird legal disputes with Marvel, because in the comics, the character is actually called Captain Marvel, right? But we don't talk about that. Um, but I'm excited to see like where Black Adam can go. Dwayne Johnson has talked about like possibly like. A movie where Black Adam fights Henry Cavill's Superman. And I'd be interested to see that. Like, I'm interested to see, like, Dwayne Johnson play in this sandbox. But what it seems like more and more is that, like, the sandbox is becoming Dwayne Johnson's and not him, like, visiting, if that makes sense. Right. Like, it's becoming the Dwayne Johnson universe, not the DC universe with Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, 100%. And also, it just feels like we've been to the sandbox a million times. So, like, yeah, show me what it does differently. Like... Literally watching the trailer for Black Adam looks like watching a trailer for, like, Man Henry Cavill's Man of Steel and, like, Dwayne Johnson's The Scorpion King. Like, Ooh, it's just taking Scorpion two movies King. that already exist. Like, big budget action movie starring Dwayne Johnson, big budget action movie featuring DC comic character, and then, like, mashing them together into something new. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I understand why the studio thinks it would make sense, right? And make money. But it does disappoint me when... This movie that looks like, I'll admit it, it looks generic, right? Um, like, it's Greenland and gets to go to theaters where Leslie Jones's, or not Leslie Jones's, Leslie Grace's Batgirl gets scrapped and never gets to be seen, which, like, looked like a cool movie, like, from what I've seen of it, which isn't much because they're not allowed to release much of it. Um, but I understand this is probably the safer bet. I just... And like what like what you're saying, I'm excited to see like riskier choices. Right? Totally. Like Matt Reeves's The Batman felt like a risky choice, even though it was dark brooding Batman, which obviously is a safe bet. But like the way they did it, it's like a three hour film with like a twisted like serial killer yeah. as the villain. And doing a more like grounded interpretation, whereas like 
Black Adam and like a, a lot of the stuff that's existed in this universe, like Batman versus Superman, is like very much what you said, like taking this like very hokey comic book existence, but then like layering this grit- gritty reality on top of it. And I think part of it is that that dissonance doesn't make sense. Like either lean into the camp or I or lean into the realism. Yeah, and I think the worst offender of that is probably David Ayer's Suicide Squad. Oh, hundred percent. Um, and I don't think this looks like that. It's like like this colorful ass Joker into like whatever the Damaged. like grimiest <laughs> inner city and He's you're like what the fuck are you Tyler. doing he's serious <laughs> um but yeah so i don't know i'm optimistic for black adam but i understand the history of the studio and the history of these like this franchise enough to know that i don't want to get my hopes up too high well i know it's going to make hundreds of millions of dollars Hundreds of millions of dollars. It's going to have like a middling like 58% on Rotten Tomatoes and they're still going to make a sequel because it made money and I mean, it's going to be what it's going to be. You hope. But then the last two DC movies that were in this franchise were kind of disappointments, but that's also probably because of the pandemic, which was The Suicide yeah. Squad and Birds of Prey. Right. Which Birds of Prey came out right before well, the pandemic. Well, and I wonder what else those things have in common. Uh... You know, They're primarily marketed a, a as being led by a woman, oh, I and not <laughs> Dwayne Johnson. That <laughs> everybody and their fucking mom will go and see on screen. Oh, I thought you meant like a distinct directorial vision. That too, <laughs> <laughs> like style. Um, they're good movies, <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm gonna see it. Uh, I I generally like movies that Dwayne Johnson's in. I know they're not like art or anything like that but oh i'm gonna say it's not that i want it to flop i just i just wish the box office was a better indicator of like the quality of the film oh and it's i mean realistically there are a lot of great independent movies that are making good money this year specifically in the horror genre that i think is like revitalizing a lot of studios hopes for like original horror content Mm -hmm. um shout out smile shout out barbarian yada 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 but just fine it's also sad that this again a rehash of existing ip that looks super generic is still gonna make so much money that the studio like can't turn down doing more of them you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and i just wish it i wish the the numbers reflected the studios a little bit better about what audiences might want to take a bigger risk on especially since this is coming from warner brothers discovery which is a studio that's in turmoil right now uh their CEO yeah. said, like, they only had enough movie to, like, release two of their big tentpoles this year, yeah. and that's Don't Worry Darling and Black Adam. Yeah. Um, and we've already seen the reception for Don't Worry Darling. And, and... both critically and financially, which is both kind of meh. Not yeah. horrible. Not stunning. Great. Yeah. Just meh. I don't let to be proven wrong. Like, if Black Adam does something super surprising, like, I love the... I mean... I don't want to get too super into it. I loved what Shazam did in its third act to really switch it up and do something different than what people were expecting. And I'd love if Black Adam has something like that up its sleeve. Uh, but just based on the trailer, it's hard to believe that it has anything more going for it than exactly what you'd expect. Yeah. I mean, if Warner Brothers was only going to release one DC film this year, I would have chosen Shazam 2. But they oh, chose 100%. This one, so. But we're still getting Shazam 2, so I'm excited. Yeah, that's next year, though. Um, you know what else we're getting this year, though, Tyler? What else? Uh, There's more movies coming out this year, not just these three? Yeah, and this one's going to someplace you've never probably even heard of. Oh, but I have been there before. 
to the Roku to channel? Roku City. Oh, you've been to Roku City. I love Roku City. Roku City is a peaceful place with, <laughs> with King Kong and Mary Poppins. That's right. Um, <laughs> I love it. But this movie is going to the Roku channel, which might be new for people. Roku is a TV, um, and it has <laughs> physical TV. <laughs> yes, and sometimes apparently they make their own content, and this is one of those times. Uh, this movie is weird. The Al Yankovic story. Hell yeah! It's Releasing on the Roku channel on your TV at home on November fourth. But only if it's a Roku TV. That's true. If you have like a Samsung Smart TV, you probably don't have the Roku channel. Uh, but I think is this movie gonna make people buy a new TV just to watch the film? No, you can like download the Roku app and like, onto whatever. Okay. Well, like I have it on my phone, and I can like watch things from the Roku channel on my phone. Okay. So I'm assuming you could like do that on a different TV, right? Cool. Or like a Fire Stick. I don't know. Um, so if I, so like I have a Roku, Roku TV, I have a Roku like account mm-hmm. that I like, you know, through Roku, you can like purchase subscriptions to like other yes. streaming platforms or whatever. Does that, am I going to get to watch this movie for free or I'm going to have to pay a price to Roku to no, watch no. the movie? This movie is free. You don't even need to have like a credit card linked to your Roku account. I think like okay, you can it's just, just going to like pop up on the home screen or something. Yeah. Like how Hocus Pocus 2 is just on Disney plus. Like, you already pay for Disney+. Plus. You already bought It's just weird TV. because Roku's not, like, an application. I, like, oh, I turn my TV on and I'm in Roku. No, no, no. Right? There's, a, there's a Roku application. Oh, there's a separate... Okay. Yeah, that makes like, sense. Oh, your remote doesn't have it. On my Roku TV remote, instead of this voodoo button, I have a button that says the Roku channel. Wow. Um, and other people say... Like, so do oh, I have the Roku channel? Let's... Live, live look. I think it comes pre-installed. I hope so. <laughs> All right. Here we go. We're going through Tyler's Roku TV. Um, Roku oh, there channel. There it is. Roku channel right there. And and this is where I normally can watch like random, like they have random cable shows that are like on TV. Like, well, this is. Oh, I forgot. They had this stuff on it. Like Chrissy's Core. Yes. Roku like bought all the is content. Is this the stuff from Quibi? Yeah. All okay. the Quibi stuff is on the Roku channel. Oh, I see. And they have like random streaming things. And yeah, they have live TV. So this is like for like. Old people that aren't used to having a smart TV, they're like, how do I just watch whatever's on? And they're like, go to the Roku channel. Or you could go to, like, Pluto TV. Yeah, exactly. Like, Like, that's the solution for this. We can watch Family Feud live right now, Ryan, on the Roku channel. All right. Instead of talking about weird, the Al Yankovic story, we're going to play Family Feud. Oh, this is old. Richard Korn era. Okay, what's the question? That's Louis Anderson. That is Louis Anderson. (laughs) Nipples. <laughs> Pacifiers. Let's go! But I said nipples first. Louis Anderson isn't <laughs> listening to me. <laughs> okay, back well, to the podcast. Good to know that I'm going to be able to watch Weird the Alinkovich story. When it comes out on November 4th, this film stars Dana Radcliffe, Everett Wood, Rain Wilson, Quinta Brunson, Dot Marie Jones, Will Forte, Conan O'Brien, and Jack Black. I'm pretty excited for this film based on the trailer because if there's one thing I love more than like a super Oscar Beatty musical inspired biopic, it's like a parody and satire of a super Oscar Beatty musical inspired (laughs) biopic. And And that's exactly what we're getting out of this. It looks like uh, the director knows exactly what he's doing. Uh, This is like even the style of like how the title shown on screen, like it's all basically like saying, let's take this super like, I mean, Weird Al is not obscure. He's definitely had hits. He has a huge fan base. He sells out concerts. But, like, 
I won't, so I won't say obscure, but a uh, a niche or well, like he's a joke. very like right. That's yeah. like the point of him. Like a uh, you know, not to be taken seriously. Yes, very uh, unserious musical musical icon, and uh, make like an Oscar scale biopic for him, complete with like pastiches of like the like shady manager played by Rain Wilson. That's like, I'm gonna make you a star, and like relationships with other musical icons of that era that like did he even really have those interactions like hooking up with madonna and like getting interviewed by oprah and like struggling with drugs and alcohol which like i'm pretty sure weird al is like a straight edge like vegan like i don't even know if he had those (laughs) issues but they're like layering everything that's like so typical from this type of movie that we've seen across hollywood for like decades and like putting it onto this semi-fictionalized story around weird al's life yeah uh, and we didn't mention it earlier, but this movie is directed by Eric Appeal, and this is his feature directorial debut. Um, and I think making a movie like this probably is kind of an easy first movie because you can just copy what other bio musical biopics have done. Like, totally, with like shot composition and lighting. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, but it does feel like story wise, like it feels unique enough to not be like a farce movie, a la like scary movie or epic movie or meet the spartans like that type of trash like it's not trying to go to that level of farce but just like inspired and poking fun at like the tropes that exist in hollywood but also maybe being like a good sincere movie and character study around this like almost how scream is a satire of slasher films while also like kind of being one Mm -hmm. like this might be the same type of thing where we're like using the lens of a typical biopic to look at an interesting character because we're i mean it is interesting how this guy that literally just writes new lyrics to songs that exist became like a musical phenomenon that plays polka music you know what i mean like that's he he's still a cool interesting guy to learn about definitely and i think it's like weird al is the perfect choice if you're gonna make a parody of musical biopics get the parody artist a hundred percent a hundred percent all like it lines up so perfectly Uh and there's like every scene in this like trailer like honestly if you just put this trailer on like you kind of can tell the whole story and that's kind of the point right right like start from humble beginnings like i just want to like my parents never believed in me and it's like the shot of his parents saying this horrible thing that like, like no parent would ever, no parent would ever say to their child like we just think it would be best if you gave up on everything you loved and stopped being exactly who you are like right. no no parent ever and again like that is a satire like i'm sure every musical biopic has like some conversation with the artist's parents that never happened to make them look like more villainous or whatever, or like they were not believed in as well, much. Even if you just go back to Rocket Man, like the beginning of that movie is like him, like and his family not getting along, right? Right. Um, and like I think that's a common thread in these movies, right? And so this is poking fun at that. And then saying that like Weird Al's as a young character saying all he ever wanted to do was just write new lyrics to songs that already exist, and the friends are like. Yeah, go for it. Like, no yeah. one's stopping you that from doing that. Like very Bohemian Rhapsody, right? <laughs> like, hanging out in the small room, like, I'm just going to start riffing and, like, create, like, one of my most famous songs. Yes, you know? totally. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I think this movie looks fun. I think they've got a great cast. I think everyone knows exactly what type of movie this is, and that helps, like, elevate the material. 100%. Right? The cast is star-studded with these types of actors that can pull off these, like, satirical but also genuine performances rain wilson as the shady manager mm-hmm. evan rachel wood's performance as madonna looks so fucking hilarious i'm excited I mean, daniel radcliffe like <clears throat> i don't know if a lot of viewers probably just see him as like harry potter right but he's done like some serious like comedic roles before that are, like, or i guess they're not serious they're comedic um but like some high range ones 
like he's in the show uh what's it called miracle workers Mm -hmm. um and he's like really funny in that movie or that show he's like holding his own against like actual comedians and now he's become like this sleeper Mm -hmm. like funny guy which you don't expect from like the boy who lived right right uh so i'm excited to see like his comedic chops be seen on a wider scale like this is probably like the most noteworthy project that he's done in a while i think yeah. um and i think it's funny that it's just like it's just this yeah. silly little parody movie yeah you know? i mean I, I was about to say like everybody else on this list seems like they make sense in, in these roles quinta brunson as oprah like will forte in there somewhere conan o'brien jack black that makes sense mm-hmm. dana radcliffe is the one that feels like they stand out like to an average eye looking at this That's right true. yeah but when you look at this performance, you're like, okay, it makes total sense that they would cast him to play this role. And I love that Harry Potter has given Jenna Radcliffe the freedom to say yes to projects like this. Well, yeah. And to like Swiss Army Man, where he gets to play a farting corpse, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, I think he'd been making some really interesting acting choices post-Potter. And honestly, out of the three main Potter people, I think he's had the best career. Oh, uh, 100%. Like, I mean, Emma Watson was in like... Little Women and the Beast, Beauty Little the Women, Beast. like but, big scale productions, but like but low impact in those roles. Yeah. Daniel Radcliffe feels like he's discovering like a new side of himself in these different in these different movies, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, so I don't know if you've seen any musical biopic, you know the exact structure of this movie, right? Um, and that's what the trailer's showing us. But that's like kind of the point. So yeah, I'm excited to see all these funny people do funny things on my TV for free. Yeah, me too. Um, but Tyler, we are talking about a comedy movie, so I have to ask you, what was your favorite joke from the trailer? Ooh, that's such a good question. Um, I was not expecting that at all. We do it every my... <laughs> comedy trailer, Tyler. <laughs> I think I already kind of mentioned it. Like, I love the, the line delivery of, like, the parents saying, like, you should give up on your dreams and stop being exactly who you are. Like something so horrendous, no parent would ever say that. Yeah. But it is, it is just so great. There's also like a one, some wonderful visual gags of like, I don't know where this movie is going with Dana Radcliffe, like shirtless shredding electric guitar being hatched from an an egg egg or something. (laughs) But I'm excited to see wherever that leads us in the film for sure. Uh, I think my favorite joke in the trailer was also a visual gag. And, um, it's, it has to do with Rain Wilson's shady manager character. If you watch the trailer, you'll notice he never takes his top hat off. Oh, he always has a top he hat, even in the top, bathtub. Even in the bathtub, he's wearing his top hat. And, like, it's never pointed out in the trailer, and I'm sure they'll point it out in the movie, but I think that was, like, something that just really tickled me about this trailer. I thought that was super funny. Like, he always has the top hat and, like, glasses or a monocle or something on. Totally. To make him, like, look fancy. Like the, like, yeah. Like a cartoonishly character type, like... A cartoonish archetype of the like evil exactly. person or whatever, right. or, like the yeah. mysterious the rich, man, yeah, like ne'er do well, yeah, totally, so fun. Well, I am really excited for this. I think the performances will be great, and I'm excited that it's coming for free on my Roku TV. Um, but that maybe doesn't like bode super well for this movie performing well, like other biopics tend to do in like award season, right? Like, oh, I don't know if definitely. the like best picture and best acting nominations are going to have like all these great, like, independent, like, you know, prestige releases, and then, like, weird, the Alyakovich story from Roku Channel, yeah. right? I mean, like, they're just now starting to, like, recognize Netflix, Hulu, it took, and Amazon, It took right? Netflix a few two years too long to win a Best Picture. Not and they haven't even won, they haven't right? Won. no. 
What? Because what? Just Nomadland was the first Hulu. one to win off of Hulu. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. I mean, what I was trying to get at was it should have been Netflix for Roma, but that's beside the point. Um, but these types of movies do tend to get that type of recognition, and so uh, I based a game off of this to see what you think or how you think uh, some certain biopic performances have performed at the Academy Awards in the past, right? Oh, okay, okay. So, like, we can only hope that come, whatever, February, March, like, Dana Radcliffe is giving his acceptance speech for this performance. Uh, Well, he might be at the previewees. Yeah, but maybe not at the Oscars. Um, But there have been lots of actors over the years, uh, especially the last few decades, it's felt really popular, uh, playing roles based on real people in these types of films, um, that have won the Best Actress or Best Actor category at the Oscars. Yeah. And so, like, uh, for example, like, I don't know what's on your Just game, one was but... Jessica Chastain in the eyes of Tammy Faye just last year there for Best go. Actress. Yeah. And that's a biopic. It doesn't necessarily have to be a musical biopic for this game. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, just a biopic. In fact, well, I think most of these are pretty much bi- biopics, but, like, movies that the leading character is based on a real person and, like, their life or something that they went through. Maybe okay. not necessarily their entire life, but, like... A good chunk Based of on it. a real life Does that person. make sense? Yeah, I gotcha. Um, okay. And so what I've done, Ryan, is I've... There's a list of six of these performances from the years. I'll give you the name of the actor and the movie. And, I mean, I'll also just say the year it came out. It's not really going to help you one way or the other, I don't think. Who knows? Um, but all you'll have to do is tell me if this movie fits into one of these three categories. Well, it does fit in which of these categories it fits into. Okay. So whether, it's like multiple choice? Yeah, whether the performance was nominated for the academy award for either best actor or best actress no supportings okay uh whether it won for either of those categories okay or whether it wasn't even nominated in the first place okay so it could be a uh b which is also including a or c which is none of the above correct okay perfect well maybe it should go one nominated not nominated does that make more sense to you uh no the way i said it makes more sense okay to me. great <laughs> All right, Ryan, are you ready to play? Yeah, I guess. First performance is Robert Downey Jr. as Charlie Chaplin in Chaplin oh. in 1992. Uh, I don't think this was even nominated. He was nominated for oh, Best Actor, wow. but he but did no, not win. Okay. Nomination only. Sorry, Sorry, no point for you. That's okay. Try again. Oh, Number two. Let's try again. <laughs> Jamie Foxx as Ray Charles in 2004's Ray. I think he won. He Oscar. did win the Oscar for this role. Yeah, Correct. Let's go. That's one point. There you go. All right. Number three. Kirsten Dunst as Marie Antoinette in 2006. Marie Antoinette. Um, I don't think she won. Was she nominated? Kirsten Dunst is like a prestige actress, but she is like more now. She is now. Was she in 2006? That's post spider-man life uh i'm gonna say she was only nominated she actually was not even nominated what that's a big old x i don't know i haven't seen the movie maybe it wasn't worthy of the nomination it was like a weird like pastiche like not like i think it was a biopic but they did it like the marketing around this was like making marie Antoinette look like she was like a teen like pop culture icon like the font on the poster was very oh. like Teen Beat magazine, like, like clueless, that was the vibe a little bit. Not yeah, like modernized. Like you'll see, yeah. Like just from the poster, you'll be able to see what I mean. Oh, I've seen this poster before. Yeah, you know I, I mean? gotcha. It looks like a teen rom com like novel. Yeah, but I did one for costume design. That's cool. But that doesn't count for this. Okay. Game. So <laughs> I apologize. 
Well, I thought it was only nominated and it won that <laughs> award too, so I would have been like a big L on that as well. All right, so you have, you're you're one for three right now, Ryan. Let's see if you can bring it home in the second half. Here Let's we go. Do it. Let's do it. The next performance, Brian Cranston in Trumbo, in Trumbo? 2015. Uh, oh, I know he didn't win. I, 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 I saw that movie and I thought, this movie's just straight Oscar bait. But did he get... But did was the there bait work? bait to get a nomination? Um, I'm going to say no. Not even nominated. He was nominated for no, the Oscar. Oh, my memory has failed me. He was. Okay. I didn't think he was either. I looked it up because I thought this would be a good, like, not even nominated uh-huh. question. But it turns out he was. Was he going up against, like, Gary Oldman that year? I think that was the Darkest Hour year. Yeah. Yeah. It was like Biopic City that year. Totally. All right. Next performance. Meryl Streep as Margaret Thatcher in The Iron Lady, 1993. Uh, for some reason, I remember that she won the Golden Globe for this. Um, so but what about the Oscar? I think she was only nominated. She won the Oscar. Oh, what? Wow. This is... Uh, this is um, Go Meryl. Meryl Streep's like, somewhat... Like, kind of her comeback Oscar win. Okay. This, uh, this stretch of time... And I don't know why I know this fact. I think I looked it up after Anthony Hopkins won for The Father. This is like, it's tied for the longest stretch between lead Oscars, between the Iron Lady and her choice, or her her one for Sophie's Choice. Same amount of time as Anthony Hopkins win between Silence of the Lambs and The Father. You know what? Now that you say that, I know that fact too. And I think it's because it was like having to do with one of these games we play on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think I also tweeted it out. So maybe you just are a fan of mine that's okay i mean i do follow you on twitter <laughs> he's a follower it's okay i'm also his follower it works more mutuals we're, we're moots Ooh, i don't know that term but i can uh infer from the context it means mutuals. it means mutuals. Yeah, there you go. mutuals Bitch, so ryan cow. you only have one point going into the six i i'm not i'm not gonna try me shady this is like a genuine comment i thought you would do better than this hey you never know. Sometimes, you win some, you lose some, and that's okay. Yeah, you know, that's all right. Usually I am. I don't know what it is about tonight. I guess it just puts really good questions. Yeah. Whoever wrote this quiz, what a smart <laughs> snapper. I mean, I looked up all the answers. I don't even know if I would have known all these, but um, I know them all because I looked them all up. Wow. Hey. All right. Sixth counts. and final question, or performance, whatever. Angela Bassett as the one and only Tina Turner in What's Love Got to Do With It from 1993. Um, Did she win the Oscar? Was she nominated or not even nominated? This is 1993. She wasn't even nominated. They're racist back then. She was nominated. (laughs) They're not as racist as I thought. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, she lost though, but she was nominated. Wow. I thought so little of you 90s Hollywood. (laughs) And now I think a little bit more than I used to. There you go. There you go. Wow. Well, you can all think poorly of me. I only got one point. Hey, that's okay. That's okay. It was was tough out there. Um, They really had us in the first half. And, and, and in second. the second half, it just got even worse. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, you actually got your only point in the first half, so... Hey, you know what they say. The first half is the greatest. Oh, and the first cut is the deepest. Yeah, that's all part of the same song. Yeah, exactly. Well, what a fun episode, Ryan. I had fun. I think it's time for us to wrap it up. Okay. And you know how we do that. With a bow. And these two questions. Oh. Which of the trailers we talked about today... What's your favorite, and which movie that we talked about today are you most excited to see? Go! Uh, both points go to Wakanda Forever. 
Uh, yeah, same boat. <laughs> That's a pretty easy one. Yeah. Ryan Coogler gets all the flowers, all the awards, send it his way. I Obviously, mean, because it was, like, so easy, like, if I want to do an honorable mention, like, I'm also excited to see Halloween Ends just because I love the franchise so much, and I also really liked Weird, the Al Yankovic story trailer, um, but Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, too good. Yeah. Too damn good. Both points off the uh, bat. The trailer's so good. I mean, you're looking at an early contender for best trailer previewing nom right well, here. Well, I wasn't going to say it earlier, but now that you mentioned it, I, I, I think the same thing. So, who knows? See in, uh, what, we do that episode in January, like February? February, yeah. And we'll see if any better trailers come out between now and the end of the year, but it, it's tough competition out there. Oh, absolutely. For a trailer. Absolutely, for sure. What kind of forever? High bar. High yeah. bar. Way to go, Ryan Coogler and the team at Marvel Studios who cut these trailers. But, um, that's it for us this week. Time to say farewell and goodbye, but... Farewell and goodbye. But, Tyler, wait... Oh, no, it's not time. You if, said it was time. If you don't want to say farewell and goodbye, you can always follow us on Twitter oh, that's and right. Instagram. At Preview Review. At Preview Review. Or follow me and Tyler on Letterboxd, where we're more active than the Preview Review accounts on Twitter and Instagram. Well, that's a great way to see what we're watching, because we do see other movies that we don't talk about on this podcast. That's, that's a true. great way to kind of see what else we're watching and what we think. That's true. Like, I saw Smile, but we never preview. I don't get to do Ryan's review roundup because my name isn't Ryan on this podcast, but I do write reviews of every movie I see on Letterboxd, so you can see my reviews there. Tyler actually writes reviews. I just come up with them on the fly when the theme music I'm going to need you to start writing something because I discovered that if you just log the film, I can't like or comment your on your like post. But if you write like at least like a sentence, I can like comment and like it. So I need you to do that so I can start generating more engagement. Okay, engagement on Letterboxd? Yes. I don't know if that's how you build a I'm becoming the first Letterboxd influencer. Okay, well, good luck with that. And good luck with whatever you're doing, audience. Good night and goodbye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>